Welcome to the Light on Being podcast. I am the host, Claire Zavko. The Light on Being podcast is dedicated to growth and transformation through conscious talks and conversation. It is time to remember our value, step into our wholeness, and live life fully. Join me monthly on every full moon for practical techniques, radical insight, and conversations with entrepreneurs, teachers, healers, and spiritual leaders. I'm excited. Let's get started. Welcome back. Today we have a special guest, Gaia, with us as we are going to get into and explore transcending grief. Let's first start with a mindful minute to settle. So whatever you have in your hands, just put it down and take a moment to be in this moment. As long as you're not driving, close your eyes. Settle in your seat, your chair, wherever you are. Allow your feet to connect with the ground, feel the earth beneath you, supporting you. Notice your legs beneath you, your hips, the whole lower body, the upper body, let the spine be long, let the shoulders back, let the heart open, soften the face, the neck, the shoulders, and take a slow breath in. Slow breath out. Two more conscious breaths on your own. any chatter in the mind, any thing that feels heavy. Just let it go in this moment and allow your senses to heighten. Notice any sounds, internal sounds, external sounds. Notice the most far away sound from you. Notice any smell, any scent. Swipe your tongue across the front of your teeth. Notice any taste. Even though your eyes are closed, notice what you see. Notice your clothing on your skin and how it feels, the temperature of your body, of the room, and any light. And when you're ready, open your eyes, come into this space. So I'm here today with Gaia, a dear soul sister that we we met in this body maybe a year and a half ago, but it feels like a lot longer than that. So Gaia is a spiritual guide and Gaia, in your spiritual guidance and in the services and offerings that you provide to people and to the world, what types of modalities do you do and share? Hi, Claire. First, thank you. Mm. Thank you for having me. And um, it's my honor to be with you and to have this conversation that is so close to my heart mm. and in such a um, sacred space. Mm. Um, I am very rooted in the yoga Vedanta tradition and I use all of the tools that I have been practicing 
um, in different in different modalities in different ways but it all to me feels that it's the same ultimately the path of evolution um, so I support people in the transitions and the end of life as an end of life doula and doula just means a companion so I'm there to support them in that transition I'm also a yoga teacher meditation teacher energy healing and I do different modalities of energy healing Reiki healing touch um, I study with shamans in the jungles of Peru so I do their own um, was initiated in their way of healing so it all comes together in a way um, that I can be there for whatever it is that the person in front of me needs in order to transcend whatever is in the way um, to experience divine love. Mm. Yes. <laughs> and divine love. So if that's where we're all going and we're here to experience that divine love, what is something that can get in the way of that, that can block one from experiencing divine love that's intimate to you? Um, I feel that is the, the, um, our attachment to our suffering mm. and us being mesmerized with, with the darkness, with our darkness, with things that brings us down that actually lower our vibration. And the more that we are vibrating in that frequency, um, that moves us away from that elevated frequency of the higher love, the divine love. So just being there and being used to and so familiar in that low vibration, I really feel that that's what gets in the way. Mm. And from knowing you and conversations we've had and knowing about the offerings that you share a lot of your work is around grief and that's what I want to dig into today and why is grief intimate to you why did share about how did how did you get here to share and teach about grief um, death was very close to me since I was little um, I remember I was that child that a five-year-old asked her dad um, people are dying and we're not talking about it. Mm. <laughs> it was always to me just um, so bizarre that I was seeing how we were dying and everybody was pretending like nothing was happening and the people that were being most affected um, was being isolated, not only um, because of society was pity them but actually they were isolating themselves because they didn't know how to be in society um, carrying this great deal of pain. And um, that's to start. And then I experienced myself many different deaths and passings of people that I loved. And every single one took me deeper and deeper into that inquiry of what are we doing? We are all dying. Why are we pretending like dogs, closing our eyes, pretending it's not happening? Mm -hmm. That was always in my heart. I've been sitting with that in inquiry and contemplation for so long. Mm -hmm. And as I was going through my own pain and suffering, very different, very distinct, the pain is the, the great deal of actually emotions and feelings we go through when um, we are experiencing um, something that we are attached to and we feel like we're losing um, and the suffering are all the stories around how we are losing it, how um, we are alone, how we are separated. Um, so I was experiencing both the pain and the suffering and wanted to really understand like what was really going on because it was as much as a visceral sensation, like I was actually experiencing the pain in my body, it was even beyond that. Um, and through my spiritual path, it was always leading me there, always leading me there. And what was the experience or moment when it went from like this curiosity that you're speaking about to like, what, what is all this? Why is this happening? And 
why aren't we talking about it? Like, how did it shift to know this is your life's work? The, um, when my dad was diagnosed with incurable cancer, um, that truly, truly shifted. I was already meditating and I went into a really um, deep practice and thinking that I needed to find tools to cope with this immense um, pain and which it felt at the moment like it was the worst thing that was happening to me <laughs> and through my meditation um, I was able to actually realize that it was not happening to me but there was something bigger mm. and and he did he was with um, cancer for five and a half years and he has um, he passed it's going to be six years in December um, and this has been the most amazing shift and journey for me so it was really that that um, the realization that there was nothing we we could do mm. he is dying and that invited me to actually sit with my own death with my own mortality in, in a way that I needed to be conscious because I wanted it to be there for him. So yes. Up, yeah, it ended up being like the biggest gift. So let's dig into that more. Like, what do you mean by that? So you, you went from it's happening to you, but then you realize there's more, there's this gift here. And then you're moving towards, okay, I need to face my own mortality. Like, how was that experience? And then how did that shift with the time you had with your father? It all started, like I said, with meditation and um, inviting me to just sit with the fact that he was dying first and sit with my pain and experiencing all the emotions that come with grief. Um, and I want to mention this because a lot of people is like, oh, okay, I'll do that work when somebody die. Like, oh, my dad is dying or my son, my daughter, I'm losing my home, my job, and I'm going to deal with that because I'm going to grieve when that is done. And actually, I want to point out that grief are um, all the emotions that we're feeling in the process of something that we are attached to, um, no longer being there for us to attach in the same way. And so as he um, was in his process of dealing with the cancer, I started to see how I was um, losing like this vital, super energetic dad. Mm. So, okay, so that was like the first grieving stage. And then seeing how um, the doctor he was an amazing doctor and had an amazing relationship with my dad, but he was really treating him as he was already dead. Like nothing can be done for you. So there was a lot of pity there, a, a lot of, and that took my dad into his place that he really didn't, didn't really look sick. And so not many people knew that he was going through whatever he was going through. Um, and we had conversations about this and that was like the hardest thing for him, for people to pity him. And so going through him very consciously, like having these conversations and me sitting with my anger, my resentment, my sadness, um, the joy of being with him, the gratefulness was arising in the moments that I was like, oh, I'm not going to have this moment again. Like all of those emotions actually took me to dig deeper into what was really happening for me. And um, that's when I had that big realization that I took it on. Cancer was happening to me. Like my dad is dying. You don't get it. It's my dad. And I, I was sitting with that until I finally heard myself saying like, my dad is dying. So it automatically became my cancer. And so that was like the first big aha moment for me. That's when I realized like, oh God, I'm making this like it's happening to me. Actually, my dad is going through it. I'm not. 
and opening up that little door took me to like understand oh wow if this not happening to me what's happening to me and when I really sat with what was happening to me that was the invitation to see oh what am I afraid of here what does cancer represent for me and to me what's the story that I have around cancer and in that exploration I realized that cancer for me was first losing my protector that was a big thing to actually go deeper into wow I don't feel protected and I'm putting that on this human being that has a lot to deal with like he needed to like devote his life to protect me and that was such a big fear and after the protector was losing that um, the male role that was playing in my life male energy then security safety and so it started to I started to peel like layers like an onion started to peel through my spiritual practice at the beginning as I said it was a lot of meditation but then I went deeper into different um, practices and that was starting to be revealed like all the layers of my grief the protector the safetyness the security um, and in that like seeing my my own fear going going through it going to like I'm gonna lose this I'm gonna lose this and see how I didn't want to lose it like how much resistant it was and that resistant acted up in me trying to save him in me trying to change his life completely to avoid him dying which something I could not do so I went the other route I went into like let's investigate all the different um, non-traditional modalities and it started with like oh my god is he had um, 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 bone cancer so I was like okay sodas I feel like they're not really good for you let's stop drinking sodas and my dad loved um, coca-cola <laughs> <laughs> and it was just so hard for him like he didn't want that and I put that on so a year into his diagnosis I stopped drinking sodas and I became like just this evil person that was like the police of sodas like I couldn't see him drinking something because I would like lose it like how can you do that like you're not doing this if you don't want to live for you at least live for my for me I really believe that that really makes sense to me that he needed to live for me like how selfish was that I was really really focusing on that to trying to save him for the worst the worst was death mm. um, and when I finally realized that I was like whoa again not my cancer again this not happening to me but what is bringing up within me and I, um, I remember when I had that realization I was in upstate New York taking um, a meditation course and it was a big aha moment for me and I could see me like the bottle of the soda in front of me <laughs> and then my dad behind it like it was like this bottle that was like bigger than us and I could see how it's like oh I'm not seeing my dad I'm just seeing the soda what did the soda represents oh cancer what does cancer represents fear what is it that I am fearful of losing my protector what did that means oh that I'm not gonna feel safe what did that means that then I'm gonna die if I'm not safe so that was the process wow. from something very tangible something ridiculous like a soda and I was losing it to actually realize oh yeah I'm losing it over the soda because I am afraid I'm gonna die like he was bringing my mortality to the surface and that was the biggest the biggest gift
for me and the invitation to actually deal with my mortality so I could remove all the wisdom between the two of us so I can finally sit with the human being that I as the soul chose to be my dad and he chose me to be his daughter. Mm. And I remember coming down from uh, upstate New York to Virginia where I live now, opening the door, seeing him and just bawling and we hug without words. We both understood finally we were going to relate. Wow. Finally, we saw each other. And from that, it was a beautiful journey. And I had him for um, two more years in which I actually knew his favorite color and his emotions when he met my mom and how beautiful it was when he found out that I was going to be a girl. <laughs> like real conversations beyond what's the weather. Wow, how beautiful. And, and after you had this inquiry and, and this clarity and really seeing your dad and the, the time you guys were able to still spend together, how did all of that time change? And how did divine love show up in that time? Um, it was a big shift. So I went from not being there for me to invite myself to be there for him. It wasn't overnight. Like I was still being triggered by the soda, but yeah. now in that moment, I knew it. I was like, oh, okay, I'm afraid to die yeah. <laughs> as he was drinking it. And, and then I, I will like allow him, you know, to do that so much that the last thing that he actually drank um, and I gave him like little drops um, three days before he passed was Coca-Cola. <laughs> I actually gave him that. Um, so it was, it was to transcend that as I was becoming aware and then inviting me to just really be with this human being as he was losing his faculties, like as I was in the grieving of like, oh, he cannot do that anymore. Oh, he cannot do that anymore. So that was the process that allowed me to become even more connected and intimate with him. And in becoming more intimate with him, I was like like falling in love with mm -hmm. this amazing being. It's like, wow, I, I miss like 25 years of getting to know him. And that ignited like such a love for him in a different way, like mm -hmm. admiration for, for the human being, um, for my father, for the friend. Like I saw him like how he was just so, um, such an amazing friend, such an amazing companion for my mother. I could appreciate their love and the relationship. So I started to fall in love with this amazing being and that took me to explore love mm. and how before it was controlling and understanding that that's our tendency as humans when we are in that state when we are only recognizing ourselves as the human we are afraid to die and so that shows up as controlling and so I'm not loving you I'm trying to control all that I feel um, in order not to lose it. And I'm using, you know, like air quotes here because that's the, the belief of the mind because the mind cannot phantom or understand, comprehend the idea of death. Mm. And that took me to start to explore, oh, there is a different way to love and that is beyond my humanity. And of course it can be experienced because I am beyond being only a human being. And so that opened up to um, start the exploration of how, tr how to truly um, love works, love is experienced, and love is being felt, and love is in action which is the true 
um, definition for me in my experience of love that it, it is an action it is in a conscious action like even beyond action yeah, conscious action to actually see the fear and transcend it through the true experience of love mm-hmm. so I was actively loving him um, at the end it's so beautiful Thank you for sharing about your dad and the learnings and from you just sharing I can see the love you have for him and have experienced with him. I can see it, I can feel it. It's it's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, it really and yes, until the end of his human experience, um this love grew into how can I be there for him, not anymore for me. And that um, that allowed me to make the for me was the the ultimate decision um, when he was in the hospital and the options were very limited into um, more treatments and I really knew in my heart say if you are willing I'm gonna love you so much that I can hold your hand let me take you home and I will support your transition mm. if you want that. Um, it was really, really hard for me to say that, but I was loving him. So mm. that was the only option for me to really show up for him, not for my fear. And he said yes. Mm. And we went home and we didn't know how long it was going to be, his transition. It ended up being two weeks. Um, and I had the privilege to actually say I'm sorry, ask for forgiveness, to say thank you, and ultimately really say I love you, mm. and hold his hand until he left his body. And in that moment, it, it was a spiritual awakening. I, I saw that he was beyond the human being. So it was no longer a concept, no longer something that resonated in my heart when I read the spiritual scriptures. It became real. And in that moment, I knew this is our birthright. The transition in a conscious way is our birthright. And this is not, in my realm, wasn't being offered. It was some, something so important that in that moment I knew in my heart I needed to do something so more and more human beings actually have the right to transition in mm-hmm. a conscious way mm-hmm. with the time and the space to <clears throat> say, I'm sorry, please forgive me, thank you, and ultimately experience divine love. Yes, so beautiful. Thank you for sharing. What is conscious grieving? Conscious grieving is the first the realization that being in this human experience, we're going to go through grief. And grief is the pain that we experience as we detach from what we believe to be true or to um, have ownership, um, which takes us to mourning, which is the actions that we take to be able to transcend the grief. And so for me, conscious grieving is first that acknowledgement that grieving is part of our human experience and then also it's a beautiful invitation to transcend it in order to evolve into divine love Mm -hmm. and that transcendence happens with the conscious actions without the action there is no transcendence and we get stay stay stuck not anymore in the pain but we are actually stuck in suffering. And so that is not grieving. 
So it kind of feels like redundant to me to say conscious grieving, like mm -hmm. grieving is a conscious process. But when we are not consciously grieving, we're just suffering and staying in that. And I experience um, many humans that are thinking that they are grieving and it's been 25 years, 30 years, 40 years. That's not grieving. That's being mesmerized by the darkness of that suffering. Yeah, I remember one time when Anand said, our teacher, how grieving is a process and that every process like comes to an end. So there's a time when it's time to end. Yes. And I remember listening to that, to our teacher, Anand saying that, and I was in the inquiry um, because that that is a deep spiritual um, teaching that he was bringing forth. But I was, I didn't know how to approach it because here in the West, we are being taught that getting to acceptance in the, you know, the, the grieving worlds here in the West, uh, that's the ultimate. And so it's really only inviting people to just accept that they're going to be in pain forever. And then it's even beyond because that being in pain forever um, can be a spiritual practice, but when it becomes just being in suffering forever, then it's such a low vibration and it has a grip on us. And then we, we're not grieving anymore. We're actually dying little by little. And so we're not experiences, experiencing the death of someone or something, but we are actually inviting ourselves to a slow, painful death, and we mm -hmm. stop living. So ultimately, when people say, how can you be around death? Like, that's so morbid. To me, it's like, because that invites me to live my life to the fullest. Yes. And if we <laughs> are in that space, like, imagine <laughs> how we would have choose to live our lives if we really, really take it on and finally come to that realization mm -hmm. of that is coming and it's not the end, then we enjoy it. Every single choice is about the joy there is to have this human experience. Yes, yeah, so eye-opening. Yeah, death is our invitation to just live that this life is so delicate, so delicate. I love that part. So delicate. delicate. And just like that, it's gone. Yeah. So may we live fully right now. Like, what are we waiting for? And it's so relevant right now as we're in these times that collectively there's grieving right now that there was a way we were all living in whatever country we're in family we're in profession we're in there's a way we were all living in february 2020 and we're not living that way anymore and we're actually never going to live that way again and so like right now we all are being faced with the way things were and the way things are and the way things they're moving forward that the way our professions are going to look are different the way we relate is different relationships are different the way we travel the world is different and so what i hear as you're sharing about grieving is that to grieve something there has to be attachment to it like there has like you were saying the my the my my dad you know and <clears throat> when we look at these unique times we're in we all had a, my job, my this, my that, my um, profession, my relationship, and all these things are like ending or shifting and changing forms. And so grieving now is more important than ever and then transcending that grief so that we can move forward and live. That like this time, yes, it's been challenging for every human being on this planet in one form or another. 
for sure. Like you can't escape the challenge. And then at the same time, this is world's greatest invitation to wake up and live fully, right? So like how beautiful, how grief is like, can be the process of grief, that pointer as you're sharing, like that is the pointer to like, let's go, let's live now. Totally and completely. And even in what you're sharing and saying is, um, what comes up for me is even I was totally attached to being a doula of just holding the hand of somebody that was transitioning from this human experience. And actually for me, this pandemic, what it has brought up is to step back and dial back because I couldn't be there with people that were dying for obvious reasons that we couldn't um, just being spreading or making it more difficult for them. And what actually arose was all these ways in which we were grieving as a society. And I started to get clients and students that were experiencing just such a deep grief that they were feeling that they were dying. And it was a big realization for me. It's like, yes, if we start to really give grief the importance that it deserves at every single level, then the ultimate grief of detaching ourselves from the human forms that we know to be true is going to be a lot more easeful and is going to actually unravel the lessons that we need to learn and ultimately be able to face our own mortality to love in a divine way. Mm. So even for me, it was a complete shift that was happening. I didn't know, but it was in my life was, um, it was like the universe was creating a space. I was teaching less and then I couldn't, I was not teaching in the studio anymore. And it was just shifting. And all these people decided to knock on the door asking for tools without knowing it, like consciously. And that's when I understood, mm -hmm. oh, okay, yes, there is work to be done. And the little things that we're grieving. Oh yeah, the job, not anymore. The title, that's grieving. The divorce, that's grieving. The way I used to live, that's grieving. And we're not giving it the importance it deserves. We're not talking about it. We're not creating an environment in which we can grieve. We're not um, having tools. If I have tools, I'm not applying them. So it, it's just, it opened up so much for me to be able to uh, be there again for people. And the small... Uh, grieving situations and I'm seeing with the people that are actually taking the actions using the tools how when a bigger detachment arises they just rise to the occasion mm -hmm. and it's not about the details it really is about the lesson and ultimately it's really an invitation to love deeply mm -hmm. to explore love so this has been beautiful in the midst of the challenge for me to witness and to be in it and to go through my own grief in a conscious way. Mm. To experience more love, mm. more and more values of love. So beautiful. So what types of tools do you share that are powerful to support people when they're processing and transcending grief on any level? I have found that um, the yogis knew it. <laughs> 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 um, I studied different um, ancient wisdom uh, cultures and they all have some form of practice. And I want to make the point here that a practice is an action that we do every day. Every day. 
It's something that we do every day with a deep intention behind it. Sankalpa, we call it in, in the yoga world. Um, but for me, in my experience, the amount of tools that um, have been passed on in the yoga tradition are way beyond what I could find in any other one. Um, and I have tested them and they have worked for me. So because they're so real and I've experienced them, I, that's like the fundamentals that I share with. Um, in my experience, the most powerful one is breath work. And I'm using the word breath work to just explain <laughs> the, what the yogis have been saying that yes, breath work is really diminishing the practice. Breath work to understand that, oh yeah, we're gonna work with our breath, but it's way beyond just the breath. Because the breath, it is the life force, prana. And so that's why the yoga is called like pranayama. The practice, the being immersed and how to um, manage and experience this life force that course through us. And I experienced that it, the, it's why the range of um, healing at the different layers and levels is profound in ways that we can actually see it. Grief brings a lot of pain in the physical body it's actually experience in the body. Um, and so breath allows for um, an ease to come in. And so when we're in ease and a relaxation can happen, the body it starts to enter a state in which can sustain and support the pain that it's experiencing um, in a way that the pain starts to diminish. So that's like at the very physical level. It's very tangible. Um, it really helps with the anxiety that comes from the detachment um, and it helps tremendously with um, helping sleep which is also um, it will disrupt the sleeping patterns some people cannot go to sleep because they're thinking and they're like in the in the suffering but for a lot of people then they start to sleep a ton but never resting. And so the pranayama practices using this breath work techniques allows to at the physical level support, like in all the ways that I'm telling you, you know, like just the physical body and the sleeping and anxiety. Um, it aids depression greatly because it allows for more life force to course through us. And then there are just so many ways there are way beyond what we can see with our physical eyes. And every single person that I share pranayama practices with experience it in a different way. And it's its own journey and it starts to open up things. And I want to share just one story. I um, had this one student that um, came to me not about grief, but couldn't sleep at all and it was like anxiety started to arise and then it um, he experienced actually a panic attack at work and he he was referred to me for that just just for the anxiety and, and he was afraid about the, the panic attacks um, and we started doing breath work and after only um, a month of practicing a very simple simple practice he started just crying all the time and he came and said like I what's going on like I haven't cried like this like it was like a couple of tears when my best friend died like this is not something that I do I don't cry and I cannot stop and so when we sat and said like okay what's been happening like what's really arising and so um, his sister actually died nine months prior to the uh, when he started experiencing the um, sleep deprivation 
And so we went through like, okay, so what happened? Oh yes, I flew because it was in a completely different um, state and I was there. He was like, yeah, I took time. And I was like, yeah, so how, how much time were you there? He was like, yeah, I was there for seven days. And I was like, okay, and after those seven days, what did you do? I went to work, you know, and I got really busy and that really helped me and supported me. And it's like, in which way? <laughs> you never really dealt with it. Mm-hmm. Did you talk to somebody? Did you, nothing. It was like, no, like it was great. It was like, oh yeah, you put your mind somewhere else. And now nine months later, you cannot stop crying. Like you're actually right now grieving your sister. And that was eye-opening to me. Like it was like the first time there was like all the facts and I couldn't see it. And like that, I have so many more stories. It is for him, it just opened up the like floodgates. He really needed to cry. And then it went way beyond just his sister. He was crying for every single detachment he had and his human experience and it just took him in a completely different path of a lot more compassion for himself mm-hmm. and allowing himself to explore something that society robbed him from which is it's okay for men to cry and it's okay for us to take time to actually grieve so every single person i feel like is the same practice same technique but every single journey is different and is going to bring up to the surface what needs to be healed in order to transcend it so we can experience divine love going back and forth. It's just ultimate, that's what it is. So yeah, pranayama is key for me. And then there are like so many more. Of course, meditation is so supportive and um, that's when the things start to come up, like the, the clarity starts to arise and, and we can see, oh, okay, how many more things are coming. Um, and then Kriya Yoga, that just was a game changer for me, which is not very known in the West um, and in the yoga world here in the West. But um, Kriya, as you know, is a Sanskrit word that means an action of evolution. And like I was saying all this time, to me, grieving is the invitation to act in an evolutionary way because you are getting closer to divine love. Mm -hmm. So there are many different kriyas and they can be very, very supportive in that, um, in the transition. Then devotional practices, that's just connects us with our heart and really truly open us up in a way to be compassionate for ourselves um, throughout the process, to not rush it, to trust, to really embody um, divine love. That's just a a beautiful practice. And um, mantra, which is, now we're talking at level of vibrational and going deeper and elevating ourselves to be in a completely different frequency. So all of these techniques that, yes, we can see shifts at the physical level, like very real, but then so many more benefits that are intangible and way beyond our physical eyes, but they can only become real when you are in the practice because you're gonna experience it. and then beyond the, um, the yoga traditions, I do believe that energy healing is so supportive. It's really not being practiced like, like in the yoga tradition, but if you really talk to different gurus and teachers, they all acknowledge that that is part of the practice, that that was always um, being practiced and um, given to one another because the yogis understood that we are beyond the body, we are energy and that we can connect and the power of the intention through the energetic um, realm. And so I really feel like, yeah, the um, different healing modalities of the energetic level can be very, very supportive. Again, starting with all the layers that we have from the physical body all the way to our energetic level. 
Yes, and all the tools you you shared, it's incredible that they're all part of the integrated yoga practice. Yes, which again, here in the West, we like to um, compartmentalize things and separate things and um, because that's where our society was taking us, we have taken that away from the yoga. So the yoga that is being practiced in most places um, here in the West is just about the physical body. And we are forgetting that the, the yoga tradition is actually an integrated practice at all levels, way beyond just the physical body. And so we need that. We need to address all the layers of who we are, um, especially when we're being invited to experience divine love. Mm-hmm. like it is through grief yes and one of the, the teachings in the integrated practice is that if the individual isn't working nothing's going to work in their life if they're not working everything's just not working out but when the individual corrects themselves when the individual has the daily practices as you mentioned and um, is creating conscious space for rituals, pranayama, practice, mantra, sangha, community, all of these aspects, they're working. And I don't mean work like effort, but I mean they're, they're functioning, they're efficient, they're optimal. And then now everything in the life just starts working. Like, seems magical, but it's not. It's coming from the practice. So when, when it appears that someone's having this effortless way through life, it's not really magical. It's that they're working. They're practicing every day. If the individual's not working or not practicing, nothing's going to work. So powerful, the integrated practice. So that being said, let's practice. So can you share a simple pranayama, pranayama breath practice? It will be my honor. Let's do. Let's find our comfortable seat wherever you are. If you are driving, please keep your eyes open. Otherwise, if you feel safe in the environment that you are in, close your eyes. Settle down. And let's begin by taking a full and deep breath in through the nose. And now open your mouth and exhale fully. a moment to remain empty and from the emptiness a longer and deeper inhale through the nose open your mouth exhale and three is magic so let's do that one more time see if you can make this inhalation even longer even deeper fuller all the way to the top of your lungs. This time, pause for a moment on the top. Relax your shoulders. Relax your jaw, space between your eyebrows. And like a big let go, open your mouth, exhale. Now seal your lips. And we're going to begin with a four-part breath. I'm going to inhale through the nose. And I'm going to count up to four. And we're going to Hold the inhalation for the count of four. We're going to exhale through the nose for the same count of four. And we're going to hold the exhalation again for the count of four. So with the lips sealed, exhale your breath completely. And we begin. Inhale through the nose. Four, three, two, one. Hold the breath. Four, three, two, one, exhale through the nose, four, three, two, one, holy exhale, four, three, two, one, breath in, four, three, two, one, pause, four, three, two, one, exhale, Four, 
three, two, one. Hold the exhale, four, three, two, one. And continue on your own. Inhaling for the count of four. Holding the breath for four. Gently exhaling through the nose for the same count of four. And invite yourself to hold the exhale for the same count. Become very aware if you are rushing the inhalation or rushing the count of holding the in-breath or the out-breath or if the exhalation is longer or shorter. Can you match? the count with the breath as you inhale, as you gently pause, as you let go. yourself to simply ground into this simple practice, ground down into this moment, precious moment that you will never have again. and together we're going to take a deep, deep breath into the nose. Hold the breath in. Open your mouth and exhale fully. Come back to the normal breath in and out of the nose. And without a rush and on your own time, Open your eyes and come into the space. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. If people want to connect or reach out to you, how do they do that? On Facebook, Gaia Balbi, and Instagram, Gaia Balbi, too. And um, I'm working on my website. Hopefully, we'll be up and running um, this month, uh, GaiaBalbi.com. But right now on social media is the best way. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time, energy, insight, wisdom, and spiritual guidance. Thank you so much for giving me space. Love and light. Love and light. Thank you for listening to the Light on Being podcast. Like all things in time, this is an evolving living thing as we discover our wholeness and light together. 
I'm excited that you're along for the journey and I would love to connect with you. You can reach out to me on Instagram at lightonbean. Send me a message with any comments or questions and they may be addressed on an upcoming episode. If you enjoyed today's podcast, the highest compliment that one can give is to share the episode with a friend or leave a review. Make sure to look up at the full moon and see her bright, radiant light. She is fully being.